Hey, good morning as well. Happy Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. (laughs) I have to apologize. I feel like Ross from Friends right now in the way that I'm talking. Um, I'm a little sick. This is day number nine of having a cold. Anyone there with me? Okay, we're going to start a support group right after this service. So I promised an usher after first hour that I will go to the doctor tomorrow, okay? So hold me accountable uh, when you see me next Sunday. But last Friday it started, and at first I was like, oh, no big deal. I can just kind of power it out. I'm just going to have some hot tea. And so I started, you know, some tea action. And then, wow, this is really stuffed up. So start some uh, Kleenex. I'm not above that. Um, And then I read online that just water is the best medicine for a cold. So I started uh, drinking a lot of water. Then this thing started getting serious. It it meant business. And so I moved and stepped it up to DayQuil, our famous and favorite DayQuil. That didn't seem to work. So then I stepped it up even further to NyQuil. And this stuff is when you take this stuff, you know you're taking it. Um, And so I was on the quill um, diet for that. Um, then throat was really hurting, so I tried this regular strength throat lozenge sucrets um, thing that I found in the back of our bathroom um, cabinet. You know, all those old medications you have. Um, and then, okay, and head's really hurting, so extra strength Tylenol. That's where this is going to work. Um, that didn't do anything. Okay, then Advil. My wife's a nurse practitioner. She knows she's talking about just Advil's your best medicine. Okay, so it took some Advil. Feeling better, but you need to take it like every six hours. There's no bueno. So then um, Tim Nellis is really my mentor hero when it comes to uh, getting rid of a cold. Tim mentally just gets rid of colds. I don't know how he does it. Tim's on our staff here. I just look up to him a lot. And so he recommended uh, this stuff that you get behind the counter at a pharmacy, but you don't have to have a prescription. And it's called pseudofedrin, if you've heard of that. So then I started taking that one every 12 hours. I'm on that right now. So I don't hold me accountable for anything that I'm going to say in the next few minutes. Um, okay, so I got that. Still struggling this weekend, though. So then... This is kind of shameful to admit. I started the sinus rinse. I don't wish this on my worst enemy. But it does come with a nice bottle. And I can demonstrate this to you later if you'd like um, right there. Um, And then just in case I'm talking to you right now and my throat just starts killing, I have some chloroseptic sore throat spray. In fact, anyone, I'll just put it right here if you need it during the course of, of our talk. I've been passionate this week about getting rid of this cold. I don't want to be sick. Those of us that raise their hands, you know what a miserable feeling it is. Day one, day two, day three. Now you're on day nine. Like, just, I'm desperate. I don't want this. Please, Lord, I'll go serve you anywhere in the world. Just take this away. And then I had a spiritual analogy. And again, this could be the medication talking, so hold it lightly. I started thinking about the idea of this. I wish I was as desperate for God in 2017 as I am to get rid of this cold. I wish that I was so passionate about God as we began this new year. That's all I could think about when I woke up of, God, I want to be close to you today. God, I want to be connected. I don't want anything to happen today where I'm not connected to you. I want to walk step by step with you, God. 
Don't let me leave you at the door of anywhere I go. Let me have the confidence that you are ahead of me wherever I go. I want to be desperate for Jesus as we start this new season, just like I've been desperate this week to get better. Amen? I pray that this is how we all feel as we begin this new year. And for me and for most of us, that begins with opening God's Word and letting the God of the Bible speak to us. And so let's do that right now. Turn with me to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab the one that's in the seat rack in front of you. And that's actually our free gift for you if you don't have a Bible at home. You can also find it on your phone. There's some great Bible apps. Or if you have your Bible, just flip there as well. 1 Samuel 16, 7. In our Chronicles of the King sermon series, which we started last week, and we'll be sitting in the next few weeks and months, We'll be sitting in the books of 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and in the next books are 1 Kings and 2 Kings, and then 1 and 2 Chronicles. So kind of put some tabs in your Bibles because we'll be going here every couple weeks. And today my attempt will be is we're going to flip through all six of those books a couple different times. So bear with me in that. But here's this passage I just, I want you to soak in this morning. 1 Samuel 16 Verse 7, let me read it out loud. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I want you to say this with me, okay? Just follow along out loud with me. Let's start all together. Here we go. Better together. For God sees, not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. One more time. For God sees, not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Turn to the person next to you, even if you're sick. And uh, out of the corner of your eye, just say what's on the slide here. Say that to them back and forth. Both of you share it back and forth. Just, just for a minute. Go. I want us to have this truth ingrained in our minds, in our hearts, as we begin this new year. Because frankly, our culture doesn't understand this truth. That God has a different vision in life than what we do. Our culture focuses on the outward appearance. And I understand it. There's something in us that is drawn to the outward. It's it's what we can see. You know the show, The Biggest Loser on NBC. There's always the before and the after photo, right? I mean, how many of us would prefer to be the after photo? 
Yes. I mean, that's, that's natural. <laughs> this is one of the most amazing cars that's ever been made. It's the BMW i8. If you were to go down to a showroom in Newport Beach today, it would cost you $144,000 sticker price to drive it away. Contrast that with the 1985 Yugo. <laughs> those of you that are a certain age probably don't remember this car, but for those of us that do, the Yugo changed everything. <laughs> Not really. It only lasted four years. It's gone down, by many people's opinion, as the worst car ever made in the history of the automobile. What would you rather have, the BMW i8 or a 1985 you go. What would you choose? A wallet full of Benjamins or an account balance? I don't know if you can read that. That says $3.97. I've been there. <laughs> Anyone else? Gone to your ATM to pull out $20? Sorry, can't do it. <laughs> your balance is less than $20. I mean, how many of us would choose that versus a wallet full of money? I mean, I get it. There's nothing wrong with wanting to get in shape or do something like the whole 30 as we start our new year. Lord knows I could do something. I need something like that. There's nothing wrong, nothing immoral about driving a luxury car or having a full bank account or a full wallet. There's nothing sinful about that. But I want us to understand that God has a completely different vision for our lives than what our culture does and what we naturally are drawn to. You see, people look at waist size, wheels, and wallets, but God, He's looking for a willing heart. That's what 1 Samuel 16 drills down into. This morning, in our study of the Chronicles of the Kings, we're going to take the modest task of studying the first three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon, just in the next few minutes. These are probably the most famous of Israel's kings. We're not going to be able to drill down super deep into their lives. On your sermon notes, I've actually listed their life stories or, or where you can go find their life stories in the Bible. So you can read about more details of their lives later. But what I want you to see is how man saw these three kings and then how God ultimately viewed them. And so if you're in 1 Samuel 16, turn in your Bible and go to 1 Samuel 14. Just a couple chapters earlier. <coughs> We're introduced to Saul. Look at 1 Samuel 14. Simply verse 47 and 48. It says this. Now, when Saul, who was the first king of Israel, had taken the kingdom over Israel, he fought against all his enemies on every side. Against Moab, against the sons of Ammon, Edom, the kings of Zobah, and the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he inflicted punishment. Sounds like an MMA description. Verse 48, he acted valiantly and defeated the Amalekites and delivered Israel from the hands of those who plundered him. King Saul was an enormously successful outward king. 
He was a great military tactician. He went against these armies where the nation of Israel was outmanned and outgunned, and Saul won. Everything he seemed to touch battle-wise was successful. The people of Israel were happy. David's no different. Go from 1 Samuel 14. Now flip over to the entire next book, 2 Samuel 8. Goes 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, chapter 8. Let me read, just beginning in verse 1 of 2 Samuel 8, about David's triumphs. Now after that, it came about that David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And David took control of the chief city from the hand of the Philistines. This was no small task. This was a miracle. He defeated Moab and measured them with the line, making them lie down on the ground. And he measured two lines, this is brutal, to put to death and one full line to keep alive. And the Moabites became servants to David, bringing him tribute. Then skip down to verse 6. 2 Samuel 8, verse 6 says, Then David put garrisons, garrisons were like military outposts, among the Aramines of Damascus. And the Aramines became servants to David, bringing tribute. And the Lord helped David wherever he went. And then you read about some numbers and some kingdoms that he defeated. And look at verse 15 of 2 Samuel 8. So David reigned over all of Israel, and David administered justice and righteousness for all people. Incredible. Such a triumphant leader. And then we go to Solomon, the third king. Go to 1 Kings chapter 4. So go from 2 Samuel over to the next book, 1 Kings. Chapter 4. And look at verse 20 of 1 Kings chapter 4. We're reading about now Solomon, the third king. There was actually a couple of kings in between these three. Saul's son took reign and leadership for a while. And then between David and Solomon, another one of David's sons also battled for the throne. But ultimately, God appointed these three. And so we call them the first three kings of Israel. Look at Solomon. 1 Kings 4.20 says, Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand. That's on the seashore in abundance. They were eating and drinking and rejoicing. Now Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour. That's 30 bushels of fine flour and 60 cores or bushels of meal. He had 10 fat oxen, 20 pasture-fed oxen, 100 sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fattened fowl. Basically, he had farmed a table every single day. Verse 24, for he had dominion over everything west from the river from Tipash, even to Gaza, over all the kings west of the river, and he had peace on all those sides around him. So Judah and Israel lived in safety. Every man under his vine and his fig tree, from Dan even to Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. 
Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots. That'd be like 40,000 cars in our day. And 12,000 horsemen. These deputies provided for King Solomon and all who came to King Solomon's table each in a month. They left nothing lacking. They also brought barley and straw for the horses and swift steeds to the place where it should be according to his charge. Verse 29. Now God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and a breadth of mind like the sand that's of the seashore. Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all the men, than Ethan the Ezrite, Heman, Calcol, and Darda the son of Mahol, and his fame was known in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,000, and don't forget, five. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is of Lebanon, even to the hyssop that grows on the wall. He spoke also, he's like a, moder- he's like a scientist, he spoke of animals and birds, creeping things, and fish. Men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon, from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Incredible. These three kings, the first ones of Israel, outwardly had such success, both militarily, prosperity-wise. And then check this out. I want to show you this map here. This is how the kingdom expanded. I don't know if you can see that from your seat. But the orange is when Saul first took reign. That's what Israel was. Then under David, you see how it dramatically grew from there. And then under Solomon, added some to the north, up in what is now modern-day Syria. So these leaders, these first three leaders, were hugely successful. The people of Israel had really nothing to complain about. Taxes were low. Wealth was high. Life was good. There were some cracks in the kingdom, though. I'm sure when Solomon was scared to go out and fight Goliath, the people began to whisper, and this is our king, the anointed one of God, our great military leader, and he's scared to to go fight this guy? Or in David, David's family was a mess. His kids were a mess. They would make TMZ blush with the things that they were doing. I'm sure people began to kind of take notice of that. You know, David's such a great leader, but he can't even lead his own family. Or Solomon. Solomon had 700 wives. Think about anniversaries when it comes to something like that. I imagine the people, hey, where are you going today? I'm going to Solomon's wedding. Wait, what is this, number 640 or 641? I've lost track. So there were cracks in the kingdom where I'm sure people were noticing, hey, outwardly these guys are hugely successful, but there's something that's a little bit off. But they could fool people because after all, God, people only see the outward. And so as long as I keep my heart hidden, I'm okay. But as 1 Samuel 16, 7 reminds us, The truth that even when people just see the outside, God sees beneath that. God sees the heart. And God saw the spiritual heart condition of each of these three kings. Each of these three kings was ultimately undone 
by sinful choices. King Saul was shown to have a lack of faith. I want you to see it. Go back to 1 Samuel again, chapter 13. First Samuel 13, verse 8. It says this. It says, Now when he, Saul, waited seven days according to the appointed time set by Samuel, Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring me to the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering... Behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, to greet him. But Samuel says this in verse 11 of 1 Samuel chapter 13. What have you done? And Saul said, because I saw the people were scattering from me, and you hadn't come yet within the appointed days, and the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. So let me paint the picture here for you. Saul, the anointed king of God. The one who's had all the success based on God's favor. He gets a little scared because they're going to go fight another battle, but Samuel's not there yet. And Saul's lack of faith in his heart is exposed. You see, he was kind of living his faith through Samuel. We see this a lot even here at Calvary where you have junior high, high school students who are kind of borrowing their faith from their parents, but they haven't yet owned their faith. And the prayer is when they get into our student ministries and, and when you're discipling your own kids, is that they begin to own their faith. And it's not just something they've inherited, but it's something they now believe for themselves. Saul never arrived there. Saul had no heart. He had a lack of faith. And so Samuel doesn't show up. The people are murmuring. They begin to scatter. And Saul freaks out. So he takes matters into his own hands and he tries offering this worship thing to God and then Samuel shows up and goes, what have you done? And then look at verse 13 here of 1 Samuel 13. Samuel said to Saul, you've acted foolishly. You've not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Like in other words, you had it made, Saul. All you had to do was obey your God. But you couldn't do it. Saul shows his lack of faith. Then we move to David. You've heard this story probably, so we won't unpack it a ton right now. But in 2 Samuel 11, you see that David is undone by lust and murder. He lusts after Bathsheba, a woman who is not his wife. And to make matters worse in the story, he takes Uriah one of his 30 mighty men, one of his boys, and he ends up having him killed. David's undone by his lust and his murderous heart. And then you go to Solomon. And Solomon, as I mentioned, had these 700 wives. Part of it was strategic. If I marry this princess from this kingdom, then we're going to have an alliance and we'll have peace. The other part of it, though, inheriting a sin from his father was his own lust. It's one of the things I pray for each of us is that the sins of our fathers would be broken. That the chains that we've inherited from past generations would be broken in our lifetime. Maybe you're the first one who will have a marriage that won't end in divorce. 
Amen. Maybe you're the first one in your family not to be an alcoholic. Praise God. Maybe you're the first one who finally surrenders anger after 12 generations that were controlled by it. All the glory to God. Here we see Solomon inheriting his dad's lust and then mixing it in with idolatry. He began to worship his wives' gods. So each of these three kings is undone by their sinful choices. And it reveals their heart condition. Saul had no heart. King Solomon, it says in chapter 11 of 1 Kings, had, and maybe this is even worse than no heart, he had half a heart. He was kind of for God, and he was kind of for other things. Man, I've lived in that space before, have you? It's a miserable place. When you have one foot in God's camp and one foot in your selfish world, it's miserable. You're divided wherever you go. And this was Solomon. And then we come to David. David is shown to be a man that had a full heart. It wasn't because he was, in a sense, better than the other two, but it was how he responded to his sin. It's how he repented of his sin. Go to, go to Psalm 51 from 1 Samuel. You're going to have to flip over several books of the Bible. To the right. Psalm 51, and I'd like the honor just to read the whole psalm to you. This was David's response when he was finally confronted and broken by his sin. It took a while, but through the prophet Nathan, David's finally broken. And he's inspired to write these words, words that Saul and unfortunately Solomon never wrote. David writes, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before you. Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in my sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth and the innermost being, and in the hidden part you'll make me no wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and glad gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Verse 10 of Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take away your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. And then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. 
O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You're not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. By your favor, do good design, build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you'll delight in righteous sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. The young bulls will be offered on your altar. Very poetic, but it was more than just beautiful words. It was really the cry of David's heart. You see, Saul, when you read about his repentance from sin, he basically said, uh, Samuel, will you talk to God on my behalf and forgive me? Solomon, really the book of Ecclesiastes is kind of his manifesto of asking God for forgiveness. But it's interesting, Solomon, in my opinion, says, hey, just learn from my ways. Don't do what I did. But you don't see this out, out, and right Psalm 51, just repentance. Only in David, with a full heart, do you see someone who's truly broken of their sin and says, God, only you can make me clean. I realize that it's not just about the outward. You've seen my heart, and it's wicked, and I need you to forgive me. David is a man It's called after God's heart. Let me flip the lens a little bit and put the spotlight over each of us. In 2017, what will we focus on? Our outward appearances or our spiritual heart growth? What will be the priority of our lives? Again, nothing wrong with Whole30, working out, saving money. Those things are great. But ultimately, ultimately, is your desire going to be, God, make me well, forgive me, cleanse me, grow my spiritual heart? That's the most important thing of this year. May God sees, not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Came across this quote from Jan Klein. I like it. If our heart is covered with layers of fear, bitterness, and unforgiveness, jealousy, or even indifference, the heart will be uglier than any imaginable disfigurement of our outward appearance. Sometimes we're fooled to think, well, no one sees my heart. But the scriptures tell us that even out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So there's cracks in your own kingdom if you have a no heart, a half heart, a weak heart. People see it. I know they do when I, my heart is failing. I came across this story last week, and I was really inspired. Danny Morrison is the woman in this photo, and she's sitting on a couch by the Santa Ana Riverbed, just here in the city of Santa Ana. She's talking to a homeless guy right here. Danny has three kids. One of them's Angela, who's part of our CalFit workouts Monday, Wednesday, Friday here at Calvary. Danny, uh, three or four years ago, was diagnosed with stage four cancer. She was a nurse at Kaiser, and they gave her just a few months to live. She ended up having a tumor over her entire face, under her skin. And so in a radical procedure, not even sure if she would live, they lifted her face, in a sense, and took out the tumor. And now, at this point, since 2013, she's been in remission from her cancer. 
But one of the side effects, the results of this dramatic surgery, was that Danny, who was a homecoming princess back in Ohio when she was in high school, has been left with a disfigured face. And she admits, even on her hardest days, it's difficult. She'll be walking into a store and kids will kind of look the other way. She wears this t-shirt, and you can kind of see it in the picture, saying, I'm not contagious. I have cancer. Just so people aren't freaked out by her appearance. But Danny is a beautiful, truly beautiful woman. Her and her husband, Guy, have fostered nine kids, besides the three that they have. They've also opened their home for teens who have run away and just kind of have an open-door policy, from what I understand. And Danny now spends her time, she's on disability the rest of her life, she spends the rest of her time serving homeless here in Santa Ana, walking around, getting to know them by name, meeting their needs. She's incredible. Did I mention she can't taste anything or smell anything the rest of her life? And she speaks, just put her fingers on her throat just to speak. And she has a very difficult life. But listen to this quote from Danny. It says, In my disfigured state, I can still express the heart of God to people. And this is what I want to do until I can't do it any longer. Isn't that amazing? I want to be like Danny. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God sees not as man sees. God looks at the heart. Danny has a heart for God. In 2017, what will our focus be? Outward appearance or spiritual heart growth? Take your sermon notes and flip them to the back, and we have some next steps I want to walk you through. One is, if you're in Saul's position, you have no heart. Make today the day that you place your faith in Jesus. He's the only one that can give you a new heart. Secondly, maybe today as you start fresh in a new year, is recommit your heart to Christ like David did. Psalm 51. Or maybe you're somewhere between a half heart and a full heart. How can you grow in 2017. I'm going to invite Kristen Gackle, part of our staff here at Calvary, to come on up. And as she comes up, you can see some of the things that are listed here in the Digging Deeper. Ways that you can intentionally study the Bible. Ways that you can have a text message sent to your phone every day to remind you to pray. And you have some classes here that we're even offering over the next few weeks. But Kristen, thanks for coming up and, and engaging with us here. Tell us a little bit, even about maybe some ideas you have that we can or you can help us grow in 2017. Absolutely. I think we all hear that story of Danny and we're like, yes, please. And we all hear it and we're like, but I'm so far away. Um, and each of us has, you know, that thing that is maybe kind of popping into your head right now as far as what's in your heart, if you're really honest. And in those moments where you're alone with God or in those moments where, you know, you are present and aware of the Holy Spirit kind of tugging on your conscience, there's things in our heart that are ugly. And yet so many times we're so full of shame, we just kind of shove it down or we try to pretend it's not there and we don't look at it. And what I would invite each of us into is to instead offer ourselves a little bit of grace, enough grace to give us the energy to actually look at that ugly thing, that sin, that wounding, that whatever it is that's coming to your mind, 
and offering it to Jesus and inviting Jesus to meet us in that place with that ugliness instead of shoving it down and then a day later or a week later it comes up again. can bring some of that darkness, some of the stuff that we would prefer stayed hidden. Because let's be honest, all of us have cracks in our kingdom. Mm -hmm. So let's bring those before Jesus and allow his grace and his love to speak into them. Amen. Um, Kristen has an interesting story of herself. Her and her husband, Joel, moved out here several years ago from North Dakota, right? North, I always say South Dakota. Yeah, you North betcha. Dakota. Um, Joel basically runs Vanguard University, so if you need a recommendation, talk to her husband, Joel. Uh, and Kristen is a registered nurse who felt called to ministry, and she originally started with our high school students here at Calvary, moved over to college students, and also got her degree in spiritual formation from Talbot School of Theology. And so tell us a little bit about your current role here, and even some ways we could take advantage of that. Yeah, Calvary graciously has me on staff 15 hours a week in order to give spiritual direction, and I just love this, and it's such an amazing opportunity for me and hopefully for you. I would love to meet with you one-on-one -on -one for spiritual direction. I have 15 hours a week, so fill up all of my spots. Um, I'd love to hear from you, and you can email me. There's a brochure in the back with my contact info, or you can find it online. Um, and what, we, what it would look like is we would meet about once a month for about an hour. And you can talk about whatever it is that's going on in your life. Um, but we would look at it through the lens of where is God in this? And what is God doing? And we would kind of try to see together the way that God is trying to direct you in your life. So God is actually the one directing you spiritually. And I just get to partner with you, come alongside, and kind of look with you at, you know, the ways God seems to be at work and also help you I know I need help in this to actually open your heart and to actually, again, graciously, gently kind of look at what's actually present there and let's invite God into that. That's true. So some of you are being called, even as you're sitting there, that this is something you need to do, uh, to focus on your spiritual heart in 2017. So consider grabbing some info uh, as you leave here. Kristen's going to pray for us in just a moment, and then we're going to enter back into a time of worship but I want to tell you that we do have stations, as we always do here at Elevation, uh, around the room. And these stations have a couple of important things on them. One is that we have the elements of communion, the bread and the juice. So if you're a believer in Christ, this is a time for you to come take the elements during worship and reflect that Jesus has died for you. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again. And so it's a time to reflect and to celebrate. And then also at the stations, there's a place to give. 
We believe that part of our call as followers of Jesus is to be generous with our finances. And so you can give at the buckets right there. So you'll be released to do that as soon as we enter back into worship through music. But Kristen, would you just pray over us and with us in this moment? I'd love to. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we desire with our whole hearts, Lord, for you to be king over our lives, Lord, for you to reign. God, I pray that each person in this room would know what the next thing is that you're inviting them into to take one step closer to you in having their whole hearts to be yours, God, to be dedicated to you, to be all about what you're about. Lord, might we look at sin the way you see it. Lord, it's just truly destroying ourselves, destroying our relationship and connectedness to you and to others. God, help us to be honest with the things in our lives that are destroying us. And God, may we look at them the way you see them, Lord. You're so full of grace. You're so full of love. And we pray that you would meet people in places in their hearts that have never been able to connect with you, God, that your love and your grace would transform them in that place, that place that is hidden, that place that they don't dare show to anyone else, let alone you. God, I pray for a transformation of each one of our hearts in 2017, Lord. We want to love you. Help us to love you well. Help us to love others well. We pray this in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.